Our scripture today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Now hear these words. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life and there are few who find it. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. Uh, Before we get started, if you are watching on our YouTube channel, uh, the stream is smoother over on Facebook. We're not really sure why we're looking into it, but if you're watching on YouTube and you're getting frustrated, if you'll switch over to Facebook, it's a little clearer. Rob, we started this series in this McLaren book on the hillside in Galilee, and I just want to take a moment and and bring us back to that space. Uh, if you're if at home, you can just imagine a day probably warm, a slight breeze coming off the water. Crowds of people gathered, longing to catch a glimpse of this Jesus they've heard about, and when he began to speak, hanging on every word. I hope in your homes right now you can feel yourself out on that hillside hearing Jesus' words as we begin to come towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And as you listen to those words, um, think about where we're at on the Sermon on the Mount. We are coming to that fine focus of of ending. I think a lot of you, you've heard enough sermons, heard enough of my sermons, you know, you know when we're we're getting to that point. My dad used to call it um, bringing the sermon train into the station. And you can tell oftentimes a preacher's getting there. It's a change in intonation, inflection, rhythm, and pace. And I have to think that's where Jesus was at as he brings this, this sermon home, slowing it down, more pauses. He's moving it to a, a point of decisiveness, I think. And on that Galilean hillside, in that moment of decisiveness, Jesus presents a series of vivid images that we all can see in our minds, and all of them are in pairs. Two gates opening into two roads, and you can't travel both. Jesus said the first one is kind of wide and smooth. McLaren called it, it's like a Roman highway. And I think of it being those kind of roads that, well, you're not going to be challenged to get too far outside of yourself. I often call those roads the ones that are circular. They just keep coming back to the parking place where you started. (laughs) And then Jesus says there's another road. And it's going to at times be rocky. It's going to be mountainous. It's going to be uphill. There will be moments in which you're going to be asked to engage in self-sacrifice and self-giving. But Jesus said... This is one that's going to take you from just just living into 
true aliveness, not just for yourself, but others. Mm. Two trees. Yeah. Two trees. One tree that bears good fruit. Good fruit. You know that first bite of an apple in the fall? The juices are dripping down your chin. Another tree bears bad fruit. It's not not edible. We can't eat it. We can't use it. It's, it doesn't reproduce well. It, it's two trees. That tree that gives us nourishment and life and abundance and is alive. And that tree that bears fruit that we can't eat at all. Two builders building two different kind of houses. But it's interesting both of these groups are hearers. Both of these groups are out there on the hillside. But one, the house is going to be built on sand. Um, I can imagine as Jesus is preaching, he's looking out there and he's seeing a lot of nodding of the heads. Maybe he's even hearing a couple of Galilean amens. People are saying, <laughs> right on Jesus, you're doing great. But he knows that he's calling for more than assent and agreement. If that's all that people get to with this whole vision that he's talking about. It's gonna be like a sandcastle waiting for high tide just to you know, take it away. But then there's the other one. It's, it's gonna be built on solid stone, bedrock. And somewhere along the line, it's gonna get into their lives. We have confirmation here every year, and I've always felt, I tell the confirmation class, the most important shift in that service, we move from I do, the question, I do so believe, I do so agree to, I will. And that's what Jesus is looking for, people who are willing to learn the moves, to follow him down that path that he's trotting. And he said, that's an action, that's, that's on solid stone. And, and that's where Jesus brings us to on this hillside, this decisive moment that leads to action. But as I take a deep breath this morning, I recognize that the hillside of our humanity um, feels different right now. Uh, we are experiencing a crisis, uh, both globally and locally. And, and while we're sitting on this hillside, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, this hillside that is humanity looks different right now. I think as we've been praying and working and living together, mostly virtually as a staff over the last um, couple of weeks, we've been thinking about how much things have changed and it's changed here in our workplace. Um, you know, this place of conviviality where people were always coming and going and there was all this um, relational energy. Now you come here and the parking lot's empty, the office is, is empty. Our, sanctuary we're you know we're feeling this this thing called um distancing mm -hmm. how are you feeling yeah i um i think one of the things that i want to honor is that um something you said in in previous sermons is that we have emotions and feelings and they're part of the gift from god and and i think that part of us part of me is feeling that in in waves um sadness for folks that are hurting and sick and, um, 
and thankfulness that we live in a world today that we're able to do this virtually, uh, that we can still connect with each other, uh, even though it's, you know, we can't even touch hands. We're six feet apart this morning. And, and so there's that kind of ebb and flow of the reality that this is different and that it's hard and the thankfulness that we can still be connected even in the midst of this. How about you? Oh, I'm feeling a lot of things. I, I felt a good bit of grief yesterday. I was watching probably too much of the news, and up in the right-hand corner I saw the, the, the statistics growing, the number of deaths. Mm-hmm. And I stopped for just a moment. I said, Rob, those, those aren't just numbers. Um, that's somebody's mother, father, son, yeah. daughter, brother, sister, and friend. And we have people out there in our, our nation and the world experiencing um, real grief and real loss. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm thankful that, you know, some of us are able to, to work at home. Uh, some of us are able to um, work remotely, but others, others aren't. You know, there are folks uh, on the front lines, uh, our medical staff, folks that are still providing food for others. Yeah, the, while some of us are, are feeling some pulling back from the intensity of work, other people are now more on the front lines than ever, and we, we certainly are thinking about and thankful for them and praying mm-hmm. for them. We think all the time around here about our members that are part of that group that are most isolated, yeah. people that are maybe in the nursing home or the hospital, and those normal visits and connections aren't there right now. Yeah, we, we've said this over and over again. Uh, Lisa said it this morning as she started the, the service, pl- please let us know about those folks. Uh, we're we are working as hard as we can to make connections, but there are folks that we don't know about. Please let us, let us know because uh, this social distancing doesn't have to mean social isolation. Yeah. I, I was talking to, to Brian this week about down at Haywood Street, the numbers um, are actually growing in terms of people that are needing um, the food that they're still providing. And it just hit me that when a nation, a world goes through these kind of crises, the ones that suffer the most are often those that have the least. And, and I think as Central, we're going to have to pray for and find ways to be there for those people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, part, part of our hope during this part of our conversation is for, for you all, for us to recognize that we're all wrestling with this, mm-hmm. um, wrestling with this experience, what the world is going through, recognize their sadness and grief and difficulty and also that we need to continue to pray and lift up those folks that that are like we said on the front lines so you and i've just spent a little bit of energy here talking about some of the things that have been taken away from us Mm -hmm. but i think as people of faith we believe that when we come to these moments when we feel like our backs are pushed against the Mm -hmm. wall that we still, when it looks like we have a paucity of choices, we still have significant choices. And I think we're seeing that being played out right now. I'm seeing it played out. I'm looking out into pews that are normally filled with friends. So how, how have you seen that played out? Well, and, and part of us that, you know, we would not have chosen this, but, but here, we, here we are. And when our backs against the wall, I, there's this great McLaren quote from the book yeah. that I think really points to this for us. He says this. I believe that all of us have a role in choosing and creating our futures as individuals and as communities. We don't need to wait passively for history to happen to us. 
we become and can become the protagonist in our own story, we can make the road by walking. One of the things that we're doing in actively choosing to be socially distant is an act or choice of love. And I think part of the process as Christians, as followers of Christ, is that we recognize the way that we're making choices during this time is also a way of us making choice to love well. I heard this this week. I can't remember who said it. But distancing is what's going to keep us together and keep us alive. Mm. That's Now, I know this is hard for you because if anybody's listened to Luke and his years with us, you, at the core of your theology is connection and community. Yeah. So that must have been. So, you know, one of the ways that I talk about that is I say that is I, I, when I think of God, I think of God as uh, fundamentally relational, right? And one of the things that I've really been focused on thinking about this particular week is how to make those relational connections. You know, for so long over the last couple of years, my phone hasn't really been a phone. <laughs> yeah, think about that. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but my phone has email on it, and I check Instagram, or I get on Facebook, or I, um, I, I search something on Google when I want to know an answer. But you know what's interesting? This week, my phone became a phone again. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's about thinking outside of boxes we've created and how we connect to each other. I mean, Rob, you're, I mean, incarnational. Like, that's your, that's yeah. your gig. Like, how about for you? Oh, yes. Just it, one of the hardest things is we've had members in the church. They're going through really difficult moments. Um, their loved one and um, health care facilities are in the hospital, near-death situations. Yeah. And we have always, as the people chosen to, and I know as a pastor it's been so important for me to be face to face there at somebody's bedside offering prayers holding someone by the hand and not to have that I've had to now realize that that phone becomes that cord of, of connection and it can be a, a cord of prayer as well mm-hmm. what's interesting about choices and about decisions which is a what this particular passage that we're, we're in the Sermon on the Mount on today is that every day presents an opportunity for choices. Yeah. Um, every, every day we have lots of choices that we get to make and that we're able to make. And, and one of the things that I've been wondering about, in particular this week, it, but in this experience, in, in this, the way we're living right now, is what are the choices that each of us can make to reach out to a neighbor in a safe way to reach out to a friend or grandparent, to, to share Christ's love in a way that's a little more creatively than maybe we would have done previously. Yeah, one place to start, I look out here this morning and I know the seating pattern. Yeah, we can still see right? folks. And, and a lot of you have these little groupings that are there every week. What if you started there, um, made a call yeah. to some of those persons that sit with and around you every week? I love that, I love that. It's a way for us to connect. The choices that we are are making today um, help us to become the church we're, we're trying to become. In the midst of difficulty, when our backs are against the wall, it's how we choose to love each other creatively, actively, and with the tools around us that will demonstrate 
who we are as a church in the world. You asked me a question uh, this week about a phrase I used last week Yeah. at the end of the sermon. Yeah, so uh, if you hadn't had a chance to listen to last week's sermon from Rob, it's incredible. It's uh, one that was timely and needed for all of us, and there was a piece of it uh, that grabbed me. Um, at the end, Rob invited us to go deep. He said that whenever he's had experiences in life that were really difficult, one of the things that he's done over and over is, is, is really sunk into the arms of God. And that reminded me, so I grew up in Randolph County, North Carolina, as a lot of y'all know, and uh, Ann's, Ann's cheering. <laughs> Randolph County. Um, as, as many of y'all know, I grew up in Randolph County, and, and one of my favorite things in the, in the late spring, early summer was the first time you got to go to a swimming hole. And I loved, there were a couple swimming holes that I loved because as a kid, when I, when I jumped in, I could never touch the bottom. I, I love the experience of jumping in a swimming hole because there's that first, well, first you're there and you got to jump. <laughs> you got to jump into the deep. And that's a little scary. And then when you get in and when you're, when you're sinking down into the water, there's the experience of the cold water from late spring, early summer. And then as you sink down deep and you just can't quite touch the bottom and maybe your lungs hurt a little because you long for the top of the water and then you spring back up and when you do there's the sun and that big breath of air and I just think of like, that experience of going deep it's so inspiring and, and important for me and I think for us as we navigate the days to come yeah it's interesting, I went back and looked at the, my sermon manuscript, and that phrase wasn't there. It came out uh, as, as I was <laughs> preaching the sermon. Oh, wow. And, and I do think it's, it's what you're kind of describing here. The life in the Spirit takes us always beneath the surfaces of things and to the depth of things. Um, it takes us beyond, as we've been saying through this whole series, beyond mere existence into true aliveness. And we're people that believe that, that very creative energy, that spirit that set everything in motion is still being unleashed. Mm -hmm. It's still personal and available. And to me, that changes things. When we believe in that and we've lived into that and we've collaborated with it, when we go through these moments, then I think we feel ourselves calling to do something more than just stoically endure. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what a lot of people feel like they're having to do. They're counting the days. Now, how many more days are we going to be in this, you know, particular setting and do it in these ways? We're counting the days, trying to get through it. But I think when we're living into the depths of the Spirit, we feel ourselves believing in that creative energy that is still being unleashed by God. And so we feel ourselves being called to be imaginative and to, to not just endure these moments, but to employ them to... To believe that there's something to be learned here, to be found here, to be gained, to increase our spiritual stature. I mean, every door of disappointment, every setback, um, an opportunity 
it's really interesting to me, Brian McLaren started the whole book. If you go back and look at that introduction, this is his opening statement. You are not finished. You are in the making. You have the capacity to learn, mature, think, change, and grow. But then add to that, mm -hmm. God's not finished. Spirit's still moving across the waters, still bringing life out of chaos and darkness. And we can participate in that right here. I think one of the things that I, as we were preparing this week, that I reflected on was a kind of a theology of the Holy Spirit. So we have God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes I have um, maybe had a weak theology of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I, it, this, what we're working through right now, what we're learning to do, and how we're learning to be church reminds me again in a more tangible way how important God the Spirit is right now. Because God's Spirit is always at work and always connecting us. And it doesn't matter if it's physically or virtually or over the phone or through a prayer. God's Spirit's at work in the world. And part of going deep, I think, in this experience is leaning in to the depth of what it means to be a people that worships and participates with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Well, you know me. Um, <laughs> language is always going to call me to a story. That's right. So this is one of the stories, um, one of my favorite ones. It's a football story. Surprise, you know. <laughs> Ken, Kenny the State Stabler. Um, he was a great quarterback for Alabama, went on to the um, Los Angeles Raiders, actually Oakland Raiders, and he was known as the Riverboat Gambler. I was not a Raider fan, but he used to break my heart because he always had these great comebacks. And um, the reason they call him the Riverboat Gambler because he disdained a little five-yard dump-off pass, a little eight-yard down and out. Um, he, he ran a high-octane, high-risk offense. He wanted to stretch the zones and always throw in these long bombs to Fred Bolitnikoff and Cliff Branch. It would break my heart. They'd be down 21 points in the third quarter, and he would just throw the game plan away and rear back and throw all these deep bombs, and they win the game. So here's the rest of the story. There's this staff writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, and he, and he covers the, um, the Oakland Raiders. And they were training at that point in Santa Rosa, California. So he got bored with the practice. It was just preseason. And he walks across the street to the home of Jack London. Y'all remember Jack London? Um, mm -hmm. You know, some, some of his great works and movies out right now about one of his works. And so there's a quote that's on the wall of the Jack London home. And he just scribbles it on his notepad. And this is what it said. I'd rather be ashes than dust. Rather, my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy, permanent planet. The proper function of a human being is to live, not to exist. Hmm. Sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't yeah. it, in the Sermon on the Mount. So he comes back. He's written this down in his notebook. And he reads this whole thing to Kenny Stabler. I'd rather be ashes than dust. And then he turns to Stabler and says, what do you think it means? 
Stabler scratches his beard and he looks up and says, throw deep, <laughs> throw deep. That's a good mood for us as Christian people. There's a world out there that needs us to, no matter what the odds are and the challenges in front of us, to go into the depths of our faith and to rear back and throw deep, throw deep with spiritual imagination and creativity, to throw deep in discovering new ways to live with compassion and generosity, to throw deep. Mm. So on that Galilean hillside, Jesus' voice, his tone changed just a little. You could tell he was moving towards the end and he brings and presents a series of vivid, vivid images, all in pairs. Twos. <laughs> Wide or narrow. Sand or stone. Shallow or deep. We are the ones who are sitting on the Galilean hillside. And although that hillside may be changing, we still have a choice. What will we choose? Many of you remember Robert Frost talking about choice. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down the road as far as I could to where it bent the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.